Welcome back to the College Basketball Tip-Off, the last Tuesday edition of the show, and this is part five of the March Madness edition of the College Basketball Tip-Off. Alongside me, Anthony Craven, I'm Cody Blazak. If you have missed one of our shows or want to go back and re-listen to it, you can go to our streaming platforms, which is on Google Podcast, uh, Spotify, Apple Music. You can go and re-listen to it on the uh, archives on the 91.1 WMSV website. Give us a follow. Give us another listen. If you want to re-listen to it again or if you missed an episode, you're very welcome to go listen to it there. It's been a crazy March. It is. We've got today and tomorrow left of March. And I think March has lived up to our expectations as far as March Madness goes. It's been incredible. We, yeah. <laughs> the funny part is that all these upsets happened, and then we already have two of our Final Four teams, and yet they're still a one and a two seed. Yeah, that's and this is pretty much what happens most tournaments, right? Is that it's, it, it's wild the opening weekend, and then after the round of 16 and the Elite Eight, you end up with mostly one, two, three, and four seats. And so far, the first two teams into the Final Four, a one seed and a two seed, and it's two teams that a lot of folks had pegged to be in this position when the bracket was unveiled a couple of weeks ago. Still, though, to this point, it has been one of the more exciting and one of the more unpredictable and certainly one of the most, if not the most, unique tournament in recent memory. We have two more games coming up tonight, being Gonzaga versus USC and then Michigan versus UCLA. And I don't think many people had any team in the Pac-12 going this far. And here there were three of them in the Elite Eight. Oregon State was eliminated by Houston last night. But who would have thought that USC, UCLA, Oregon State, and then Oregon were in the Sweet 16? That's been one of the main storylines of this tournament is how well the Pac-12 has fared. They got five teams in to begin with, more teams than we thought they would get in. And it was a, a conference that for much of the regular season, Cody was maligned or overlooked at times. Yet, here we are, of the six remaining teams in the tournament, a third of them are from one city and their arch rivals. First time they've ever been in the Elite Eight at the same time. UCLA, of course, has the storied history. But it's been since 95 that they won a national title. It's been since 08 that they've been in the Final Four. USC has always been a basketball program that has been pretty good, but almost never great. And certainly is, has almost always been in the shadow, basketball-wise, in the shadow of their crosstown rivals, uh, the Bruins. So lots of storylines to dissect with these two ball games tonight. Before though, before before we do that, I want to get your thoughts on last night's Elite Eight games. Both games played out very similar to one another. Big leads early for the heavy favorites, the underdogs, come storming back to make it a tight ball game in the second half, and then the two favorites end up pulling away a little bit there at the end. I don't. So I, I'll talk about the Baylor Arkansas game first, and I don't want to make either team sound bad. Or I, let me put it this way: 
Baylor and Arkansas, this was Baylor's game to lose, and Arkansas lost it. Arkansas made a run down the stretch where they made it close, and then they panicked and missed shots for what seemed almost an entire half. The, from, or, the, yeah. from, from, what, from the nine-minute mark to the three-minute mark of the second half, Arkansas did not make a single shot. Yeah, and they just— uh, And me, attempted two free throws during that entire stretch. To me, Arkansas took stupid shots. They they made shots that they or they took shots that they should not have taken. They shouldn't have won. Baylor was favored to win this game, but if Arkansas would have just calmed down and didn't freak out when they made it a what was it a four point game four point game with they wouldn't with have what eight minutes left yeah. nine minutes left if yeah you four point game if you don't freak out, who knows what would have happened? Yeah. After that, Baylor does what they always did. They went down the lane, threw it out to. Someone on the perimeter, they shot a three and they made it. And from there, they ended, they just Arkansas could not rebound. And yeah, it Arkansas also had um oh lord, what's his name? No, it uh kid that fouled out with nine minutes left. Um, big player, Note. Note. For Ar- yes. there were fourteen minutes left. Or fourteen minutes. He yeah. fouled. First of all, who on the coaching staff had him in the ball game still? What a huge mistake. And that's a good coaching staff. Eric, it's it's Muscleman. I, I always say Eric Muscleman. Who had him on the floor with four fouls with 15 minutes left and kept him in the ball game, and then he and then he fouls out with 14, and and he had 14 points. He had 14 points. There were almost 15 minutes left in the game, and he fouls out. Their first guy off the bench. They're I mean, one of the best reserves in the SEC this year. Huge blow to their chances. So, heading on to the uh, other Elite Eight game that took place last night in the Midwest region, Oregon State uh, faced Houston. And as far as the Final Four goes, when when Houston won that game because they played before Arkansas and Baylor, I was watching that Arkansas and Baylor game, and Arkansas went down, and then they were making that comeback in the second half, and I was like, I want Arkansas. I want Arkansas to win this game for one pure reason, (laughs) that Arkansas has trailed in every single game in this tournament by double digits, and they came back and won. And Houston has been up on everybody. They were up on every team except Rutgers early. And uh, just absolutely early, yeah, yeah, absolutely dominated. And I'm like, this would be incredible to watch Houston go up, and then Arkansas do what they have done all tournament long, where they down 15 points. Oh, second half, no issue for us. We're going to make it an interesting game. That didn't happen. But Houston played. At Houston looks like a legit team now, and I never wanted to admit that just because I've been shaky on them. But they they they've played. I read a stat the other day that they are the only team in NCAA tournament history to to beat four uh, double-digit seeds in the tournament. Yeah, and listen, the draw played out well for them. No question about it. I mean, no question. As soon as Illinois and West Virginia lost in round two, it became Houston's bracket to lose. And to their credit, they took advantage 
of the opportunity. And listen, it may not have mattered. I mean, as well as they play defense and as good as they are at rebounding and as good as they are at protecting the basketball and not turning – I mean, they are as fundamentally sound a basketball team as there is in America this year. So it may not have mattered. They still may have come out of this bracket. But but once Illinois and West Virginia went down, they became the clear favorite. And kudos to them. What a great story. I mean, they came into the season with lots of hype. They were, they were in the Sweet 16 two years ago, the last time we had the tournament. A lot of the guys, a lot of the veterans on this team were youngsters on that team. They got that experience. They stuck together. And they're a... Again, I don't know if there's an NBA player on that roster. You know, I mean, I I, I assume there's one, right? Because usually there's one when, when you get this far. But I don't know. I mean, there's not a single guy on that roster who I go, oh, yeah. I've I've heard great things about, about this guy. He's, you know, he's a star. They are a fundamental, they are a quintessential team with a great veteran head coach and a really good coaching staff. And what this staff has done with this program, taking them from the absolute bottom of college basketball. I mean, they were, they were one of the worst Division I basketball programs, you know, and of, of, of the large conferences. I'm going to go ahead and put the AAC in, in the large conference category. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't consider that league to be a mid-major league in, in basketball. Of the, so, so of the top, you know, seven conferences – the Power Five, throw in the Big East, and the American. Of the top seven conferences in America, of all those teams, Houston was probably the worst, certainly one of the worst programs when Kelvin Sampson got there seven or eight years ago. And I hear they are in the Final Four. It's one of the best turnaround jobs that I've seen in college basketball in a long, long time, maybe in my lifetime, Cody. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back over the past 40 years – has a program done what Houston has done under Kelvin Sampson to go from where maybe 10 people were, were showing up to games and they were getting blown out every night in Conference USA to where they are now winning the American and now competing for a Final Four and having, what, three or four consecutive years of going to the tournament, back-to-back years or, or back-to-back tournaments of going to the round of 16. And now here they are in, in, in the Final Four, first Final Four for Houston since 1984, and you saw the raw emotion right after the game. Uh, Kelvin Sampson in tears. I mean, that it, it they they have worked their tails off to get that program to where it is now, and the players, how emotional and how excited they were. That's that was a, for, from a fan. I appreciated seeing them enjoy that moment so much. I mean, Kelvin Sampson could almost not believe that that it happened. You know, and uh, so it's a cool story that that program has gone from being dormant back to being a powerhouse, and now on the cusp of a, a national championship. And it's been and it's been cool to see how Kelvin Sampson over the past 18 years has sort of resurrected his coaching career. I mean, I mean he was left for dead career-wise, left for dead okay. after he got you know Indiana on probation, um, almost well that was 15 years ago now, and when he was hired. You know, there were a lot of people who thought, you know, good luck with that. You know, <laughs> I mean, nobody else wanted that job. Uh, and here he is with them in the Final Four. 
um, after taking Oklahoma to the Final Four there 19 years ago, uh, back in 02, when he was the head coach of the Sooners. So I think it cements his legacy, too, as one of the better coaches of his generation, and it puts the Houston program back on the map. I mean, they're, they're clearly the best. I mean, they two, two schools from Texas in the Final Four, you know, Baylor and Houston, and you know, and you look back 15, 20 years ago, where those programs were, and the fact that both of them are now in the Final Four, it just goes to show that, or it, it goes to prove that if you find the right coach and you're able to keep him there and leave him alone and let him build his program, that the right coach at the right time, with you know, the right kind of fit with the program and the local community, that that it can. Lightning can be captured in a bottle really anywhere. If Houston and Baylor can do it, literally any program in any of the top seven conferences in America can do it. And so pretty cool to see Houston back in the Final Four, first time since the uh, Akeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler days of the 80s. Five-slamma jamma. Speaking of Houston's cool story, Baylor also has a unique story, as it's been 71 years since they have reached the Final Four, too. Yeah. Just, it's an, it's cool to see one team that's been on a drought make it to a Final Four. But we have two teams that have been on a drought, and they're going to face each other to go to the national championship. And they used to be conference rivals who hated each other. And Baylor has not, I didn't realize this, but Baylor has not been in the Final Four for either of our lifetimes. 71 years ago yeah. is when they were in the Final Four. I mean, our and ages combined. Combined. And then some. Yeah. 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 So it's great for both of these schools that get an option after having a rough 71 years and a rough 39 years to come back. Because you got to think, especially for Houston, and Houston had the more famous team of Faisal and Majama, sure. that after they lost – that that program was left for dead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. after Once, they lost those three years and they had yeah. players like they did. And their coaching staff retired. Yeah. I, they were left for dead and they're making a comeback and props to Houston. And to your point, yeah, Baylor, when, you know, I, I, I just, you know, gave you my thoughts on, on Kelvin Sampson and what a great coach he is. Scott Drew, when he was hired at, at Baylor, I said nobody wanted the Houston job. Eight years ago, nobody, and I mean nobody, wanted the Baylor job when Scott Drew took it over. And he took it over, I mean, it's been it's been almost 17 years now when he when he got that gig. I mean, he's been there a long time. And that program was a program left for dead. I mean, it, it probably was the worst Power 5 program. I know there, there, there wasn't, you know... The Power Five moniker had not been invented yet, <laughs> you know. Back back then, there was no you know Power Five conference thing. But still, of the of the what we call today the Power Five, they probably were the worst program, and certainly the you know considered to be the worst job, uh, if not I mean, one of the worst, if not the worst at that time. He took it going from going from Valparaiso. He took it, and and what he has done. And he he started winning, you know, fairly soon, and then it's been a slow build. You know, he he got him back to being respectable, 
and got him back to being in the, you know in the big dance, and, all, and then all of a sudden for the first time ever, they're going to the big dance with consistency, you know, almost every year they're in the big dance, and then and now here they are as a one seed and a Final Four team. So yeah, pretty cool. So many storylines, so many storylines surrounding these two <sighs> programs and the fact. That they are now playing each other harkens back to the old Southwest Conference days. It's been 110 years combined the, since the two of them have made this since the Final Four. It's a long time. Well, I, we'll talk about this matchup more on our weekend uh, series, as that'll be pertaining to the Final Four and championship. We'll get through the other Elite Eight games here that were going on tonight, being. Gonzaga versus USC in the West and Michigan versus UCLA in the East. Real quick, to anyone that is in Indiana at the moment and you are a basketball fan, log on to ESPN and buy a ticket. They are $33 for the game. Please, if anyone is listening from Indiana... Can you buy tickets from ESPN? They have, like, when you go to their app in the oh, game... Oh, they give you the, the option it's of... Like, it's through Vivid Seats, sure, I think it sure. is. But it ha- it shows you the cheapest ticket. Yeah. It's $33 for an Elite Eight game. Yeah. I, doesn't matter where put, you're sitting. You get to go for $33. Put your mask on. <laughs> go buy a ticket. I mean, all I've heard is, is how much folks in Indiana love basketball. If I was anywhere near the city of, of Indianapolis, I'd buy a ticket and, uh, and head up there tonight to watch these two ball games. $32 for the Gonzaga-USC game, with taxes, obviously, and then Michigan-UCLA is only $33. So let's let's just use our heads and buy these tickets. Yeah. Anyway, getting 80, into the matchups. 80 bucks to put gas in your car yeah. though, to, a, to a drive to the stadium, but the tickets, good price. Good price. Gonzaga and USC, and I'm not sure anybody thought that Gonzaga would be playing USC in the Elite Eight. I'm not even sure. I, I think everybody thought Gonzaga would be getting to this point. But yeah. who they would be playing... I, I mean, if we look at who they could be playing, USC, Drake, Kansas, Eastern Washington, Oregon, VCU, Iowa, and Grand Canyon. I would have If I had to pick two of them, I would have picked Iowa and Kansas. Sure. Iowa and Kansas didn't even make it to the Sweet 16. No, no, neither. I mean, Iowa and Kansas out after the after the second round. And Virginia, you know, when the bracket was unveiled, we were all salivating over a potential Gonzaga-Virginia matchup in the round of 16. Virginia loses in the first round. So, yeah, once, once those three teams went out early, similar to, to Houston's story, once the uh, two, three, and four seeds all went out early in the first weekend, it became not an easy road for Gonzaga, but certainly a much easier road than we thought they would encounter. They've had no problem. I mean, what they had a little bit of, of an issue for one half against Oklahoma. But outside of that, they've had no problem getting to the Elite Eight. And here they are playing the third best team from the Pac-12 in the Elite Eight. So talk about things opening up for, for you. Uh, Gonzaga certainly is taking, has taken advantage of it so far. Now, now, with that said, you know, even though USC couldn't win the Pac-12 championship or tournament championship, 
they've been a top 25 team all year long. They got off to a great start. What, 14-1 and one in their first 15 games, I think? Ranked as high as number 11 in the nation. Borderline top 10 team. I'm not sure what happened to them down the stretch. They dropped a, a couple of ball games that I don't know if they had some injuries, some guys out for COVID, but, but once they got everybody back and once this tournament started, they have looked as good, and this is not hyperbole, they, they have looked as good as anybody in this tournament, including Gonzaga. USC has nothing to lose. That's, that's the fun part about this game, is they look like they've been playing a loose and they look like they're having fun. They look like they're going yeah. out there and just... It's fun to watch them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's what worries me. Gonzaga, on paper, is easily the best team in the nation. But when you're in March, when you're in the tournament, and when you have a team that is playing like this USC team, where they're just going out there and playing the game of basketball, that worries me. And I, it's not that Gonzaga doesn't have the players of the heart to get it done, because they've got... Corey Kispert, uh, Drew Timmy, Jalen Suggs—they've yeah. got—they've got everything they've they got, need. They've got multiple All-Americans and multiple NBA draft picks in in the starting five. And uh, USC just—they've had an interesting. I mean, they played—they played a Drake team, then they played a, a Kansas team who looked—they were looking really good at this point in the season. They ended up playing Oregon, who. Uh, they missed the first round because VCU had to go home, and then they dominated Iowa. Yeah. And I, I thought the I thought the USC Oregon game was going to be a lot better than it was. I was very very wrong about that. They ended up losing by 14 points. And so USC just, led by double figures almost the entire game. So it, it should be. I'm excited for this matchup. I think out of these. Uh, what is it? Four games in the Elite Eight. I think this one might be the most interesting game. Yeah, I mean, because just yeah, looking at it, just because these two teams have just blown out everyone they've played in the tournament to this point. In their first three games, Gonzaga beat Norfolk State by forty-three, Oklahoma by sixteen, and then beat Creighton by what twenty-something. The other night, two, two two nights ago, USC beats Drake by 16, beats Kansas by 34, the third worst defeat in the basketball history of Kansas. And then, yeah, they beat Oregon by, by 14. So these two teams have dominated. I mean, they have not had a single moment of nervousness in the entire tournament so far, and they collide with one another. Great matchup of... I mean, Gonzaga likes to claim that they are the kings of West Coast basketball, despite not having won a national championship yet. They like to claim that they are the the program out there. It's not UCLA. It's not Arizona. It's them. And the USC has been slowly building to this point. You know, I mean, three years ago, they were the second place team. Here, here's where the you know the rest of the country is sort of looks at the Pac-12 and goes, ah, forget about it. Because three years ago, USC was second place in that conference, a borderline top 25 team, and didn't even receive a bid to the tournament. 
because that's how bad the perception was of how of of how, of, of how good or how not good the Pac-12 was. But, but but USC was almost the champions of that league three years ago. Two years ago, they were second or third in the Pac-12 and would have been in the and, and, and did go to the big dance. And the last year would have also been in the big dance had there been uh, a big dance. So it they've been building up to this point, and here they are playing their best basketball. They look right now like they did in January when all of a sudden folks looked down and went, wait a minute, USC's 14-0? and 0? <laughs> what? <laughs> How did that happen? They look like they're back to that form now. So, it, yeah, it should be a fantastic ball game tonight. In your professional opinion, who do you, at, at the moment – who do you think is the hottest team, USC or Gonzaga? It's Gonzaga, in my opinion. Still, okay. they have won twenty. I'm sorry, they've won thirty three straight games. They've won twenty six straight games by at least ten points. And they're twenty nine and zero this season. Right. So, and they've played good. Yeah. Listen, I get it. Their conference is not the gauntlet that. The Big Ten, the SEC, Pac-12, et cetera, is. But they have played really good teams in those in, in that 33-game stretch. A lot of ranked teams and have not lost to a single one and have beaten most of them by at least 10 points. So I'm still going with Gonzaga. It would be, even though USC is a top-20 team, it I, I would be shocked. I won't be shocked if it's close. I will be shocked if USC finds a way to win the game because USC has not beaten a great team yet this year. They've played great at times against good teams. They have not beaten a great team though, unless you count Kansas as a great team, great program. But this year they were not a great team. In I think my they opinion. were great towards the end of the season. Uh, maybe they, they struggled. Were. They struggled through but, getting through the season, but we'll find out tonight. Yeah. Gonzaga should win this game. They should, but you never know. The last game of the Elite Eight in the East, Michigan versus UCLA. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about blue bloods. Talk about what happened. (laughs) (laughs) UCLA from the first four to the cusp of the final four. You know, I can I can understand USC in the Elite Eight and Oregon State, and I can only understand Oregon State because they were so hot in the Pac-12 tournament. Yes, and I kind and of and even Oregon because Oregon ended up winning that conference yeah. when it was all said and done. So Those, yeah, I, I understand them, but UCLA, what, what they uh, they were left for dead. What, right? what did what happened to this team for them to just explode as, in this tournament for as bad as for as for as disappointing as they were in February they have been the exact opposite of that in in March they have been fantastically fun to watch now they run into a Michigan team that a lot of folks think you know I mean there was a time there where folks thought Michigan was the best team I think people in the country think that again though uh, I, so it, it, it I, I think I think both the games tonight are going to be Fantastic. One thing I didn't realize, talking about UCLA and Michigan, it's a matchup of the program who of the teams remaining has the most recent national title. That's UCLA 26 years ago when they beat Arkansas back in 95. Of the teams remaining, no one's won a title more recently than them. And then they're playing Michigan, who since 2013 
has been the most consistently good basketball program in America in terms of winning tournament games and and getting to the Final Four. When was Michigan's last? 1989 was Michigan's last national title. Did they not win it the year Trey Burke hit that shot against Final nope. Four for Kansas? Who did they end up playing for that? They, they uh, lost to Louisville in the uh, championship game. That is game. what it was. Anyway, UCLA and Michigan is tonight, and that will be uh, approximately 8.57. It's going to be 30 minutes after the... It's going to be after 9 o'clock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's, it's supposed to be 30 minutes after yeah. Gonzaga and USC ends, and then they got to do their celebration and everything. So it's gonna be after nine o'clock. But we have a good slate going into tonight. I pick at Michigan in that game. I'm gonna go Pac-12 teams just for the sake of it. Do it. Shout out to Bill Walton. <laughs> Conference of Champions. Anyway, that's all we got for you today. We'll talk to you on our last episode Saturday. Alongside me, Anthony Craven. I'm Cody Blazak.